This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. So we're going to continue our series, uh, Reading Mark, Meeting Jesus. I'm uh, loving this series already two weeks in, reading the Gospel of Mark, uh, the eyewitness accounts. This is so helpful, isn't it? Like, people saw this stuff happen with their own eyes. The stories circulated, were passed on through the community, written down, and here we are 2,000 years later, able to read the eyewitness accounts of things that happened by the people who saw them, by the people who knew the people in the stories. So we're reading the Gospel of Mark, and the whole purpose of this series is to introduce us to Jesus. For people in this room who have known Jesus for a long time, to maybe see a fresh uh, perspective and to be reminded that uh, a purpose of our lives is to introduce people to Jesus, is to introduce the world around us to Jesus. I want people to, to meet Jesus. I don't know about anybody else in this room. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to know the God of the universe. I want people to know love and grace and acceptance and the kindness of God, the love of God expressed in the person of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. This whole series, what can we learn from Jesus' interactions with others? So each week we'll look at an interaction between Jesus and another, another person, and then we'll say, what can we learn from that? What can we learn from how Jesus interacted with the world around him? And for me, that's so important to remember. Like Jesus walked the earth. Can you imagine this? Like Jesus walked through marketplaces. He was in people's homes. Jesus spoke. Can you imagine this? Like Pete, Jesus spoke at some events and some people sat in the crowd and went, it's all right. Like some people did that. <laughs> like that, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, people see these incredible things or they have these incredible experiences or they see some natural beauty or they see an incredible band or some people yesterday watched the football and just went, yeah, it's all right. Some people heard Jesus who uh, one of his followers, Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Like when Jesus spoke, he had the words, the power, the energy of the life of the universe. Some people sat and they missed it. Some people brushed his shoulder as he walked through the marketplace and they missed it. They didn't know whose shoulder they were brushing. They didn't know who was sat in their presence. They didn't know the word. They didn't understand, comprehend the words that were being spoken to them. And I think that's true today. I, I think people still this is obvious, isn't it? People still miss Jesus in church but, but, and also outside of church. People miss Jesus just like they did 2,000 years ago when he walked the earth. And in Jesus' day, there were four main groups. We're going to do a bit of history now. Is that okay? I know it's hot, but a bit of history. In Jesus' day, there were four main groups that represented the Jewish people. And they were all hoping and waiting for the same thing. They were all hoping and waiting for a savior, a messiah. Uh, my message this morning is called Unexpected Saviour. And these four main Jewish groups were all looking for the same thing. They were all looking for a saviour, for a messiah, uh, a chosen one, a holy one that God would send to restore them as a nation, uh, to make them the people of God again. But they all, in part, missed Jesus. The Pharisees, and they're the group that we most read about uh, in the Gospels and in kind of a pantomime villain kind of way, when they enter the scene, you can almost imagine the crowd going, boo, when the, pant- when the Pharisees walk on. They're kind of pitched as the bad guys of the gospel story. Uh, but the Pharisees probably were the main religious group, the main Jewish group uh, of the time. And in a lot of ways, Jesus associated with the Pharisees. Uh, Jesus actually said, uh, listen to their teaching. 
What they're saying is good stuff. Just don't copy their behavior because they don't live it. But what they're saying, their interpretation of law, of Torah, it's actually, they're actually pretty good at this stuff. But the Pharisees, they wanted a savior who would get rid of the sinners. That was their mentality. God will restore the nation once we've got rid of all the bad people. Once we've got rid of all the bad things, God will uh, restore um, his kingdom through piety or through religious devotion, through this kind of iron fist of religious authority. That's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted a savior who would get rid of all the sinners. Then we have the zealots. You may have read about the zealots. They're also in the gospel stories. And the zealots were kind of the militant group of, the, um, of, this, of these four groups. And the zealots wanted a savior who would get rid of the Romans, the oppressors, the empire. You know, they had this holy war mentality. God will restore his kingdom through violence and through a holy war. And we need to raise up warriors who will fight the empire. And at times, when Jesus is turning over the, the table in the temple, the zealots are probably thinking, this is our guy. Like he's walking into the temple, overthrowing tables. But when Jesus is saying, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, they're probably thinking, he's not our guy. He's not our Messiah. The Essenes, and we don't actually read the word Essenes in in the Gospels, uh, but we kind of get glimpses of maybe the Essene community. And uh, the Essene community, they wanted a savior who would reject society. They wanted a savior who would restore the kingdom of God through escapism. We want a savior who we know we can't save the world around us, so we need to create a new humanity. We need to go into the desert, and we need to create a new society. And one day, God will send us a savior who will reject the current system of this world and create a new society out in the wilderness. That was the Essenes. And the Sadducees, who we also read about in the Gospels, the Sadducees wanted a savior who could be bought. They wanted a savior that they could control. You know, they wanted a savior who would join in with their endeavor to collaborate with the powers that be. And they wanted to control and manipulate their savior, a savior who could be bought. They believed that they could restore the kingdom of God through collaborating with Rome, collaborating with the empire. And in part, all of these people were looking for the same thing. They were all looking for a savior. They were all looking for redemption. They were all looking for the purpose of God. And they all saw Jesus. They all heard Jesus teach. And in part, they all missed it. Many people want a savior. And I'm sure most of us in this room, you know, we want salvation. But many people want a savior on their own terms. This is what I learned in life. Actually, I think what a lot of people want is not a savior, but a lucky charm. You know, rather than a king, most people want a mascot, like a lucky charm. Someone that we can like cross our fingers and hope that the savior saves us. Rather than a king uh, that we follow. A savior who will bend to our will. A savior that will submit to our requests. Maybe we've got that a bit upside down. Maybe today we could introduce a Jesus, an unexpected savior. Maybe not a savior who will bend to your will or will meet all of your requests, but a king and a savior. Let's read the passage. This is Mark 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. 
Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out their demons. And we're going to focus on this line. Everyone is looking for you. I want to propose this morning that everyone is looking for something, but what, what for? You know, everyone is looking, but what for? In this story, everyone's looking for Jesus. And a bit later on, we're going to answer a few questions. We're going to answer the question, why? Why were they looking for Jesus? Then we'll answer the question, well, where was Jesus? What was the activity of Jesus in this story? And then we'll ask the question, what does this all have to do with us in this room? Is that okay? That's the journey. That's the thread we're going on this morning. Everyone is looking, but what for? I, I want to propose a few things. You might not resonate with all of, these, all of these, but I think most people are looking for certain things. I think most people are looking for meaning and purpose. You know, as we've all experienced, <clears throat> life is fragile. You know, life is difficult. Uh, and life is odd, isn't it? Life has these odd moments, these moments that just appear like chaos. So a big question that most people, I think, at some point in their lives, maybe not every day, maybe not everyone's like me, and most of your life you spend pondering the big questions, the existential questions of life. Maybe not everyone does that all the time, but I'd imagine most people at some point in their lives ask the question, does life have any meaning and purpose? Everyone is looking, but what for? I think people are looking for meaning and for purpose. Does life matter? Does my life matter? Can my life have any greater meaning and significance any greater purpose. What Everyone is looking, but what for? Well, I think everyone's looking for love. Everyone is looking, but what for? For love. Will I be loved? That's a pretty universal question, isn't it? Will I be loved? Will I experience this thing that people talk about, love? Will I get to love? You know, some people, I think, are just so full of love, but they don't have anywhere to put it. Like, will I get to love? Will I receive love, but also will I get to love? And will love ultimately be all I hoped it would be? Or is it another mirage, you know? Will love ultimately be all I have hoped it would be? Everyone is looking, but what for? Belonging. Everyone is looking, but what for? Belonging. We want to belong, don't we? We want a tribe to belong to. We want a, a cause to be a part of. Will I belong? Where do I get to call home? Well, I'd also argue that everyone's looking for a savior, that everyone's looking for salvation, for redemption, for hope. If I make a mess of my life, and for most of us in this room, we probably look at parts of our lives and say, it didn't quite go how I hoped. Will I get to be restored? Like if my life has gone off in a wrong direction, is there salvation? Is there redemption? Is there hope? Is there a path home? Or, or is this it? Everyone is looking, but what for? Meaning, purpose, love, belonging, salvation, redemption, hope. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ says yes to all of this. In this story, everyone's looking for Jesus. In a minute, we'll ask the question, why? But everyone is looking. And in this story, everyone's looking for Jesus. I think so many people in our world are looking, and I'd imagine people in this room are looking for Jesus. They're looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for belonging, looking for love, looking for salvation, looking for redemption, looking for hope. And the gospel of Jesus says, yes, your life has meaning. Yes, your life can have purpose. Yes, you can experience unconditional love. 
Yes, your life can be filled with love to overflowing with love for other people. Yes, you can experience belonging. You can belong to God. Yes, you can experience salvation, a second chance, redemption. Yes, you can experience hope. So here's the three questions I want us to focus on for the rest of our time. Why were the people looking for Jesus? Then, what was Jesus doing in this story? And then, what does this mean to us? So first of all, why are the people looking for Jesus? So I've just read this story. And in this story, it's early in the morning. So something's happened the day before. And you can check this out <coughs> in study and in life groups. What happened the day before? I will tell you as well. <coughs> but he wakes up early in the morning and he goes off to a place of prayer. He goes off to a solitary place. And then Peter and the other disciples are running. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Why? And maybe you already have an answer. Maybe you know some of the story. Well, here's the why. Because the day before, he was healing loads of people. So why were people looking for Jesus? Well, they wanted the miracle moment. You know, yesterday my, my friend got healed. Or yesterday, this, Jesus did this incredible thing. And I have a need. I need a miracle moment in my life. And so the crowds are looking for Jesus. They have in their mind a savior who's maybe a conjurer of tricks. You know, the kind of savior who pulls rabbits out of hats. You know, they want a God who is um, a magician. You know, they want a God. Essentially, I think the crowds are looking for consumerism. We want a God who will do a trick. And Jesus constantly in the gospel story is trying to, is moving away from the crowds because he's trying to bring this teaching. Now, Jesus, the God that we believe in, is full of compassion. And the God that we believe in is a miracle-working God. And the Gospels, and the Gospel of Mark is littered with stories of Jesus healing the sick, of Jesus restoring people's lives. Why? Because God is good. Because God is kind. Because God is compassionate. Because God is powerful. But what we see time and time again is Jesus trying to move on. It's like, this isn't it. I'm not just here as a consumeristic, as, as someone that can pull rabbits out of hats. Actually, I've got something more for you. So I want to encourage you today. Let's not be like the crowd. Let's not just chase Jesus for his miracles. But let's pursue Jesus for his dream, for his presence, for his purpose. Let's pursue Jesus. He is good to us and he is kind to us. And he's a miracle working God. And we celebrate that, don't we? We worship God for who he is and what he does. But actually, what I love in the Jesus story here, he's, he moves away from that because he's trying to take people somewhere deeper. He moves away from, don't just chase me because I'll do a miracle for you. Actually, there's so much more. And the Jesus that I'm coming to know more and more each day is more wonderful and more incredible than just a God who pull, pulls rabbits out of hats. He just does something awesome and like I'm impressed by it. Actually, the Jesus that I'm coming to know more and more is so wonderful and so incredible. And is the leader of my life. So why are the people looking for Jesus? Well, I think the people are looking for Jesus because they've misunderstood, like most people, they've missed. They've seen a God who will do a miracle for them. But actually, here's a God who wants to be in relationship with them. Here's a God who has a dream, who wants to invite them to participate in his mission and in his dream to restore the kingdom of God. So here's my second question. Are we okay so far? My second question is, okay, so in the story, where is Jesus? 
Peter wakes, uh, Jesus woken up, gone off to pray. Then Peter goes chasing for him. And, and Peter says to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. So in this story, <clears throat> where is Jesus? What is Jesus up to? And I'd love you this week in life groups to ask that question. Read this passage, then ask the question, okay, what do we observe Jesus doing? What's the activity of Jesus in this story? And there's five things that I've noticed. There's five things here that I want to say. This is Jesus' interactions with others. Five things that we see him doing in this story. Then later we'll, f- we'll finish with the question, what's this got to do with us? What does this mean to us? Okay, number one. Where is Jesus? What is Jesus doing in this story? Well, first of all, he's spending time with the Father. That's what we see him doing. He wakes up early and he goes to a quiet place. Why? Because he wants to reconnect with the source. He wants to reconnect with the Father. Jesus understands that the source of his life, the source of his power, the source of everything that he is comes from the Father. There's a story about somebody walking into a piano shop. Uh, and hopefully I've not told this story here before because I feel like I've told this story a lot recently in my life. But there's a story of somebody who walks into a piano shop and they want to know the answer to the question, how do you tune 100 pianos? There's 100 pianos in the shop. And they want to know the answer to the question, how do you tune a piano? And they, their thinking is, well, there's 100 pianos here and the first piano is in tune. The first piano is in tune. So they're thinking, okay, maybe do you tune the second piano to the first piano? Have I told this story recently? No, good. (laughs) Do you tune the second piano to the first piano? And then do you tune the third piano to the second piano? Then the fourth piano to the third piano? Who thinks that's a good idea? Or who thinks that's a bad idea? Why why is that a bad idea? Audience participation. They'll all be a little bit off. So by the time you get to the hundredth piano, if you compare that to the first piano, the hundredth piano would then be way off. So what do you do? How do you tune a hundred pianos? Well, you tune the second piano to the first piano, and you tune the third piano to the first piano, and the fiftieth piano to the first piano, and the hundredth piano to the first piano. Here's what I believe: that God is the first piano. You know, that God has this melody, this harmony, this song, and He's been singing it for all eternity, and we get to join in. Like we get to live a life in tune with God. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm out of tune. Sometimes I feel like I'm singing a song and it's not quite in key, literally and metaphorically, you know. And I don't know about you, maybe, some, maybe even today you feel like your life is slightly out of tune. You know, that the, you were once in tune with that first piano, that source, but somewhere along the path, like you've got out of tune with that first piano. Here's what I love in the story of Jesus. And Jesus is God in human flesh, isn't he? That's what we believe. But here we are. He gets up early in the morning, he moves away from the crowd, he moves away from the adulation, and he spends time on his own, what? Getting in tune. Listening to that first piano, getting in tune with the first piano. So that's what Jesus is doing. Where is Jesus in this story? Well, he's spending time with the Father. Intimacy in the solitary. It's this weird paradox. He's on his own, but he's never been more connected. He's on his own, but he's connected to the source of life. He's connected to the maker of the universe. Intimacy in the solitary. Then what next? So he spends time with the Father. Then he does the Father's business. 
That's what he then begins to do. And I, I shared this the other week in Giving His Living, that Jesus used this phrase, once I called you, friend, uh, once I called you servants, because servants don't know the Father's business. But now I call you friends. I love that. We get to be friends of God, and we get to join in with the family business, the business of heaven. So he spends time on his own with the Father, and then he gets on with the Father's business. Being close to God's heart propels us to do his will, to fulfill his dream. That's what we see in Jesus. He spends time with the Father. He listens to that first piano, and then he lives out of that. He lives in tune with the Father, with God. But he also lives in tune with those around him. Why? Because he's heard the Father's heart, and then he does the Father's business. Number three, what is Jesus doing in this story? He then goes on to proclaim good news. We read this in verse 38. What is Jesus doing in the story? He's escaped from the crowd. He's moving on, but he's moving on to proclaim good news. I love what it says in verse, uh, in verse 38. It says this, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. I love that, this unrelenting desire to spread good news. That's what we see in Jesus, an unrelenting desire. Like, yeah, I've communicated good news to this community. But you know what? There's another community, and they've not heard this message yet. I've got to go. I can't stay. I can't stay here. I've got to go. There's this unrelenting desire to proclaim, to spread good news. That's what we see Jesus doing. He wants people to know the good news. Your life might be full of Tragic news, bad news, difficult news. But today there is good news. And the good news is this, that there is a saviour, there is a redeemer, and his name is Jesus. So that's what he began to get on with in this story. What is he doing? He's proclaiming good news. Number four, what is Jesus doing? He is destroying evil. So in the story, it talks about casting out demons. What are we seeing him doing? As his kingdom of light and life is advancing, this kingdom of darkness and evil is crumbling around him. And the, the enemy, the darkness, can't cope with the light that Jesus is carrying. So what is Jesus doing in this story? He says, I'm going over there because there's a community that needs to know good news. And, and as I proclaim this good news, evil is going to diminish. Evil is going to be eroded. Evil is going to disintegrate. If you've been alive for about five seconds, you'll be aware of the forces of evil and darkness. You know, whatever you want to name it, you know, in our world, this voice, you know, this voice that um, urges people to do and think and say and imagine the unspeakable. There is this voice, isn't there, out there? There's this darkness, this out. And I find, because I'm a middle-aged man, I listen to Five Live quite a lot. And uh, I... I, um, if you're a middle-aged woman or younger or older, you're also allowed to listen to Five Live. But oftentimes they have debates on Five Live about why are things happening in society. And they often name things. Um, and they wouldn't talk about evil. Or, or they wouldn't talk about evil in the way maybe the Bible does. But when I hear them talk about evil, I just think you're naming it. You're naming this kind of, this force that's out there that we're all aware of, that uh, encourages, urges people to do, think, act, imagine the unspeakable. But here in the Jesus story, what is he doing? He's pushing that voice back. That, that voice, here's what happens. When, when you listen to the first piano, that other noise becomes quieter. You know, That other force becomes less compelling. 
Because there is a, there's a voice and there's a force stronger than evil, and it's called love, and it's called light. Uh, and it's, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And that's what we see in this story, and all through the gospel story. The kingdom of light, the kingdom of God is advancing, and the darkness around it is being destroyed. And here's the last thing I want to say in answer to the question, what is Jesus doing in this story? The last thing I want to say is this. He's in the bullseye of God's will. Again, in verse 38, the second half of 38, he says, I need to go to this other village because I need to preach there because this is why I came. This is what I'm here to do. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of moment in your life where, you know, you're in a conversation or you're involved in some project or some activity or you're just maybe even in a certain location and you have this sense of, I'm meant to be here. I'm meant to be doing this. I'm meant to be saying these things. I'm meant to be in these relationships. I'm meant to be having these conversations. Jesus has that moment. Mark 1, 38, the second half of that verse, he has this moment where he says, this is why I'm here. This is why I came. I came here to proclaim good news. I came here to set captives free. I came here to lead people home. The bullseye, I love that image, the bullseye of God's will. I love this idea that God has a bullseye for your life. That God, Ephesians 2 verse 10, I think my favorite scripture in in the whole of the Bible, says before the universe was rolled into motion, God prepared good works for you to do. God has a bullseye for your life. God has things for you to be involved in. And in this moment, Jesus is stood right in the bullseye of God's will for his life. And he's saying, this is why I came. So, what is our response? What do we do with all of this? What does this mean to us? That's my final question. And this is how I'm going to land today. I've got five things. Five things for us to do in response. And here's number one. Spend time with the Father. Spend time with the Father. Even today, you know, making time, choosing time, prioritizing time where you're on your own, but never, never more connected. Maybe you'll be on your own, but connected to the God of the universe. Just pray in a simple prayer. Father of the universe, God of the universe, God, whatever, you, whatever you name you use, speak to me. I want to know you. I don't just want to know you for what you can do for me, but God, I want to know you. God, I want to know the unknowable. <laughs> I want to connect with the God of the universe. Spend time with the Father. And maybe let that become a practice. You know, you do something today and you might say, wow, I was on my own, but never, I've never been more connected. Maybe I could make that a, a daily practice. Maybe I can have a daily practice of spending time with the Father. Reconnecting with the first piano. Listening to the song of heaven. Whatever language you want to use. Second of all, what can we do? Well, we can do the Father's business. Because here's what happens. We listen to the first piano and it changes our lives. We listen to that first piano and the sound of our life, the song of our life begins to change. If you feel out of tune today, you know what? You can get in tune. You can listen to that first piano. You can get back in tune with the Father and your life will begin to look different. Your life will begin to reflect more of God's heart. Number three, here's what, we, here's what it means to us. Here's what you can do. You can, anyone want to guess? You can proclaim good news. <laughs> you can proclaim good news. You can be good news to your world. You might be thinking, you know what? I've, I've poured uh, energy into this community. Um, 
And, uh, and I want to keep on pouring good, uh, good news into my workplace, into my friends, into my family. Uh, but I'm not going to stop. There's this unrelenting desire within me to share good news. Maybe I did that when I was young. You know, maybe that was the activity of youth. You know, but actually, for the rest of our days, could we be a people that say, I've got this unrelenting desire to proclaim good news? Maybe that would be a great prayer for you today. God, put my heart on fire again to proclaim good news, to be a good news messenger to the world around me. Number four, what could you do today in response to this message? How about we all say, we're going to like destroy evil. <laughs> we're going to push back uh, the kingdom of darkness. This voice that is lying to people, that's destroying people's lives. We're going to sing a better song. We're going to proclaim a better message. We're going to speak a better truth, a better word over people's lives. We're going to see the kingdom of darkness eroded. We're going to push that back. How about we get involved with that today? And lastly, what's your response to this? How could we read Mark and meet Jesus? What can we learn from Jesus' interactions with others for our own lives? Could you be in the bullseye of God's will? What could that look like for you? Maybe you've had that moment before. Maybe you were giving someone advice and as you were doing it, you were like, where's this coming from? Like, I am awesome. Have you had that moment? You're like, I'm saying stuff here, and this is incredible. Where is this coming from? You know, maybe actually that's the bullseye of God's life for you. Maybe you should do more of that. What about serving others? For some of us, you were serving somebody, and you were like, I am fully alive in this moment. Like, there's so many things that don't bring life to my life. But in this moment, as I'm serving somebody else, I am alive. That's called being in the bullseye of God's will. <clears throat> Maybe you've been drawing out potential in somebody else. Maybe that's your sweet spot. You see potential in someone and you've got this ability, this skill to draw it out. Maybe it's coaching other people. You know, again, you see greatness in someone and you've got this ability to give them advice, to set, you know, imagine being the person that taught Harry Kane how to kick well or whatever. You know, once upon a time he had potential and then some, along the line, a coach came along whose name we don't know, who guided him who trained him, who set him in the way that he should go. And we're all thankful for that. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's the bullseye of God's life, not to be a football coach, but to be a coach, to be someone that comes alongside other people and, uh, and trains them. So what does this mean for us? Spend time with the Father, get in tune, just like Jesus did, that first piano. Then once you spend time with the Father, you can participate in his business. It changes you. Being in tune changes you. Proclaim good news, destroy evil. And I really want to encourage you today. You can live a life that's in the bullseye of God's will. You can be invited into that. You can participate in that. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.